sitting at the house of mercy on the water's edge was a man who met the Savior, so the gospel said. Waiting there he was with the lepers and the lame, till an angel it was told down from heaven came. Near and far, just to sit here at the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir. We're just sitting at the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir. likes us, all of us. It has nothing to do with whether or not we're bad or good. Indeed, God takes it for granted that we are more or less not that good. In teaching after teaching, Jesus makes the point, same point. All are invited, good and bad. Those are our categories, and they're part of the problem, not part of the solution. I like that. I can always hear that. James Allison? James Allison. Well, um, Speaking of not bad or good, but fantastic, <laughs> let's hear it for this band. Yeah. It's so nice to have you. So nice to have you on the, on the dressed up stand up face there. Face. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I like it, you know, I like it that way. A string band is always in your face, no matter what. That's just how, that's just the nature. Uh, of a string band. So, yeah, great music. We have a quick announcement that uh, today's special music is going to be a hymn chosen at random by somebody in the congregation. So if there's a hymn, you really are in the mood to sing today during the first you know, quarter of the service, just have a look through the hymnal, and, uh, and then when it's time for it, Eloise is going to pick somebody who's going to raise their hand. So just be ready. Oh, I like it. I like yeah, it, it's man. exciting. Yeah, yeah. it's exciting. really, yeah. <laughs> Hey, you know, the Feast of Jonah is coming up. The, the equinoxes and the solstices are the days on which the oldest, most ancient religious rituals are celebrated. Mm -hmm. And so we do that at House of Mercy too. The fall equinox is coming up. Um, that's the day that the darkness begins to overtake the light, or at least the dark hours of the day will be longer than the light hours of the day. Yeah, usually that's a great time for us, uh, filled with our house of mercy, filled with, you know, irony and maybe going a little darker than other people. But it is, the context really is very different this year. It is, like embracing the darkness. Yeah, where it says nobody needs help with that. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, really, nobody needs help with that. But, you know... Um, we like to mark that day. Anyway. We do like to mark that day because it is also a time to where we all it's begin it's a little bit more contemplative right yeah. We take a little bit more time and quiet as people do in the winter hold up and think and pray mm -hmm. and stay yeah, in their houses and stay in their out. houses longer and stuff like that yeah um so that is in two weeks uh there will be there will be well we will be uh 
dedicating a new altar painting by Jim Larson um, that day, which I, I can't wait to see what it is. And uh, then also there will be uh, food, there will be feasting. Yeah, yeah. Tamales, tamales outside, so yeah. Uh, outside, and uh, music as always. So please come, bring all your friends, don't sit close to them. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> what about next week? We have guest announcers. Let's, let's bring them right up yeah. uh, so we can hear it now. And uh, yeah, give them a little walk in music, huh? Yeah. Yeah, here they are. Come up, <laughs> guest announcers. It's Anne, Anne Brett, Brett and Robert. Nancy. What? Here they are. Nancy. Nice. Thanks. That was cool. Liked it. Um, so I'm Ann Britt Mulberry and I am the Elder Youngster Coordinator at House of Mercy. And I'm Nancy Apps. This is my first year as the Youngster Coordinator. Um, you might recognize Helena, you might not. It's been a few Sundays since we've been attending regularly. So happy to meet everybody and excited for Youngster Sunday coming up next week. Mm -hmm. Speaking of having friends and not sitting close to them. <laughs> and we're thrilled to have Nancy as a part of our staff now. So next week is Youngster Sunday. So that means that we will have a blessing in church for the youngsters and teachers. And we will have our first Sunday school. So for those of you who have youngsters at home or those youngsters in the service, know that we will have Sunday school starting next week. And we are so looking forward to it and hanging with all of you amazing people. <laughs> Very excited. Mm -hmm. um, there is a registration form on our website, uh, houseofmercy.org. You can find the youngsters page. You want to say something? What do you want to tell everybody? You think about it, all right. Uh, you can register there. We've got the outline of a COVID plan. Um, probably nothing earth shattering at this point, but please wear masks. Um, please keep space. Please stay home if you're not feeling well. Um, if you would like to participate from home, more than happy to put together supply packets and send you these lesson plans and all of that. Um, choose your own Mama, adventure. Want to decorate to um, wear your suits. Ah, also wear shoes, yeah. masks and shoes. Good point. <laughs> more or less required, it, yeah. <laughs> Especially if we're going outside as weather permits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, true. Um, teachers are still needed. Um, we also, if you're not so sure if you wanna be a teacher, you could be a helper or a substitute teacher. Um, we are still looking for uh, quite a few. So talk to either of us if you are interested or email. Um, if you feel like you're not a Bible expert, you do not need to be. There is curriculum written for the House of Mercy that stresses God's love and mercy. So if you love kids, if you love God, you can be a teacher. All right, all right, this is the House of Mercy. And welcome to it. Only a tramp was Lazarus' fate He was laid down at the rich man's gate He begged for the crumbs from 
rich man to eat But they left him to die Like a tramp on the street He was some mother's darling He was some mother's child Once he was fair and lovely Some mother rocked him, her darling, to sleep. But they left him to die like a tramp on the streets. Jesus, who died on Calvary's tree, shedding his life blood. For me, they wounded his side, his hands, and his feet, and they left him to die like a tramp on the streets. He was some mother's darling, he was some mother's child. Once he was fair and lovely and mild Some mother rocked him, darling, to sleep Left him to die like a tramp on the street If he should come and Asking for drink or bread from your store Oh, would you rejoice or turn him away For this he would judge you on that great day He was some mother's Once he was fair and lovely and mild Some mother rocked him, darling, to sleep But left him to die like a tramp on the street Please join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, give us a notion of a desire for pause, a peace, a quiet. Slow our thoughts that we might be present between them in the spaces take us from our anxieties and apprehensions, that we might exhale and breathe in again air, fresh, new, like a world waking up where our place in it is only to be, to see, to notice what is becoming. Amen. May the peace of God be with you all.
Let's share a sign of peace with one another. They tell me of a home far beyond the skies. Oh, they tell me of a home far away. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, the land of a cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded day. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Right on to verse 3. Oh, they tell me of a king in his beauty there. And they tell me that mine eyes shall behold where he sits on the throne that is whiter than snow in the city that is made of gold oh the land of a cloudless day oh the land of an unclouded day oh they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise oh they tell me of an unclouded day let's do a verse four acapella and we'll uh, the band will come back in on the chorus Oh, they tell me that he smiles on his children there, and his smile drives their sorrows all away. And they tell me that no tears ever come again in that lovely land of unclouded day. Oh, the land of the cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded day. Tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Please join me now in the prayer of community. I'll end each prayer with Lord in your mercy and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, the fires, the viruses, the violence still rage. We measure their containment as percentages. Please give us a sense of peace and an extra portion of love for the earth, for our neighbor, for ourselves, that we could work together to find a way to bring healing to this world unto each other. Lord, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for all of those who are in need of spiritual, emotional, or physical healing. We pray for those who have recently been diagnosed, give them strength, and give them the knowledge they need. Bring to them the people they need to support them and to help them to heal. 
We pray for those who are prisoners, those who are prisoners of addiction, those of us who suffer with mental illness. We pray for those who suffer from profound loneliness. We ask that you be present, be fully known. You bring peace and hope. We pray for those who are going through treatment for cancer. We pray especially for Maria Bianchi, those, all of those in our community and our lives who are in recovery from surgery, illness, We know that you are a healer. Take them all up to your arms. Lord, in your mercy. God of mercy, we know that we have not loved you with all that we are. We've hurt the people in our lives, some people in our lives and those who have passed through our lives, the things that we've done, things that we've left undone, the things that we have thought and left unsaid. We know that you judge us with your grace. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of prayer, silent prayer. Amen. Sometimes it's interesting to do hymns slightly out of season. The, uh, they take on a different meaning. The one that we're going to sing next is hymn number 62, Were You There?, which is often done in Eastern time. We're definitely going to do verses 1 and 5, but we're trying to figure out still, do we do verse 2, 3, or 4? We're not going to do all of them. If we were to pick just in hymn number 62, Verse 2, verse 3, or verse 4? Which one for the Reader's Digest version of Were You There? Should we do? Number 2? So we'll do verses 1, 2, and 5. So hymn number 62. So please rise and join with us in singing Were You There? Number 62. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble. Were you? 
verse 5. Were you there when he rose up from the dead? Were you there? Were you reading for this evening is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. The word of the Lord. (laughs) I used to pass a billboard with some of those verses on it every time I went to the grocery store or the gas station or coming home from work, pretty much anywhere I went for anything, I passed this billboard and I sort of hated it. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? I didn't think that whoever put that up meant to make drivers feel loved and at ease. But who knows, really? I have no idea who they were. But I judged them, like, what are these people up to? Spewing fear of hell throughout the land, shaming, threatening. I felt mad at them. 
What a wasted energy, right? Like, uh, Debbie, why not just look at the other side of the road or at the flowers growing in the median? I'm not usually very fixated on billboards and the people who devise them. It's, it's not like every board I see sets me off. I don't think bad thoughts about the folks from Sherman Buildings who recently put up a billboard that says, quality erection since 1976. And just a little further down the road, they have another one, 1.6 million screws last year. I think they're funny. Jim doesn't think they're funny, maybe because he works in construction and this sort of humor gets old, but he doesn't feel all gripped with judginess and outrage at the billboards. He's always been a better person than I am. <laughs> I felt struck this week thinking about that billboard, realizing Jesus makes this sort of plea, follow me. I'll lead you somewhere good. And even at the moment I read the words on the billboard, it's like, I can't do it. Follow him? I'm already way down the path to some merciless critique. I've been a pastor for 26 years, a Christian since I was like eight. I don't know if it's really hard to follow Jesus or if I am just particularly bad at it. I do think it takes some practice, and I don't think our culture is very helpful in cultivating the practice. When Jesus says, if anyone wants to become my followers, pick up your cross and follow me, I'm pretty sure he means to free us from the very thing that grips me when I read those words on the billboard. This almost automatic or unconscious move that our minds have been formed to make where you measure yourself over against whatever other you encounter, where you're quick to feel accusations towards those others who are up to something not good that I myself am not so involved in. If it was just me that had this tendency, so what? But it's not. It's so pervasive, this way of moving that it's hardly questioned. This was so apparent this weekend with a lot of the rhetoric around the anniversary of 9-11. Like some sort of almost nostalgia for how we came together back then. Some people committed suicide with significant collateral murder, and that meaningless destruction helped to unite us all. There was bipartisan agreement to go to war against the terrorist. Just hours after the attack, George Bush announced that we would embark on a new kind of war, and all our friends and allies who love peace would join against Islamic extremists. The new kind of warfare involved the formalization of systems of detention without charge, pervasive torture, drone attacks resulting in many civilian casualties. 900,000 people have died in that war. Children, people at wedding parties. I'm pretty sure a lot of those people who were victims of this war also loved peace as much as any of us, which may not be as much as we pretend. This unifying against the bad guys, it 
clearly didn't lead to good places. I mean, of course, this would be far from the realm of what seems even possible, but what if instead of uniting in the belief in our goodness, our great nation against other violent others, what if we took that opportunity to reflect on all the violence we have perpetrated throughout our existence as a nation? The lectionary passage for today reveals how really different from our usual ways God's way is. Jesus asks his disciples who they think he is. Peter says, you're the Messiah. But clearly Peter has got something in mind when he identifies Jesus as the Messiah that Jesus isn't going to be. The Messiah meant a particular thing in some Jewish imagination. The Messiah would finally free the Hebrew people from their pagan, idolater, oppressors. And there was a lot of tension brewing against the Roman Empire in the days of Jesus and his disciples. So in that context, if Peter went around telling people Jesus was the Messiah, they might think he was going to lead a revolt against the Roman Empire, overthrow the Caesars. And that was an understandable desire. The Roman Empire, as it is with the empires, was good for a few, but not good for most people. The economic elite prospered, but the 99% weren't served well by empire. So it made sense to Peter and all the disciples that if Jesus was a Messiah, he would lead them to dethrone the oppressors. So when Jesus says he's going to be rejected by all the Jewish religious leaders, says nothing about leading any sort of fight against anybody, promises no win no win at all against any bad people, but rather that he's going to die, it just doesn't sound very promising. What good could that do anybody? So naturally, Peter's like, hey, wait, hold up, don't say that. But Jesus makes it abundantly clear that this is his plan. There will be no overthrowing. Jesus will not assume the power of Caesar's. There will be no violence. This is sort of the crux of things. There will be no vengeance taken. No matter how much the damage the empire has done, the cross will be about not retaliating. Jesus doesn't want Peter to say anything about him being the Messiah because it could get all the zealots worked up into a fervor. And this would get in the way of the radical mercy Jesus means to enact, making possible this whole new way of being in the world, the end of vengeance. Jesus will become the victim of human violence, the scapegoat. He'll he'll be like, go ahead, project all your judgment on me, all your outrage. And then you'll see where all your Righteous anger leads. No place creative of love and unity. No peace, but to the death of the creator of love. But what's more, that violence, the death, it won't succeed in stopping the ever-living flow of love and life and mercy. The death and violence won't succeed in keeping the creator of life dead. When Jesus says, If they would follow me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He doesn't mean, like, 
Deny your zest for life. Deny anything that might give you pleasure. Renounce all that. And start bearing this enormous burden, something you don't want but have to carry, something that weighs you down, and, and be willing to die for Jesus or burn in hell. That's just kind of off, I think. And I'm going to try not to accuse the people who put up the billboard of trying to communicate that misinformation while I myself am innocent. But clearly, by even saying that, I'm at it again. Jesus invites people to follow him so they can get free. Maybe picking up the cross is a sort of poor metaphor, although I guess in this case it isn't actually just a metaphor. But it just sounds very heavy to pick up your cross. It sounds torturous. And somehow I just don't think that's what God wants for us, something torturous. In one of the translations I read, Jesus says, if someone wants to follow behind me, let him renounce all claim to himself, pick up the stake he'll be hung on, and follow me. I liked that translation, not that I totally comprehend it, but it sounds more to me like a summons to freedom. Like, instead of standing by the stake you'll be hung on, making sure it stays firmly planted in the ground, like, here I stand, I'm good, I'm right, and pretty important too, just pull it out of the ground and move on. Follow Jesus. It made me see that picking up your cross is different than dying on your cross. Jesus isn't promoting martyrdom or death. He wants to bring us life. Deny ourselves what does Jesus mean? Deny ourselves life, chocolate cake, a massage? I don't think that's the point. More like deny the selves formed by violence in all its various manifestations, self-righteousness, judgment, merciless critique. Follow Jesus instead. Following him, we might eventually begin to see the world through his eyes. And through his eyes, the world looks a lot different. There aren't good people and bad people. Those are our categories, as James Allison says, and they are part of the problem, not the solution, not God's categories. God's category for us is created, and created means liked, spaciously, delighted in, wanted, all of creation to come along and bring to fruition the love and the mercy. And we're missing out on something huge and beautiful and serene and enjoyable and safe and meaningful by being caught up in something less than that. By being caught up in a sort of fake peace or fake goodness, this sort of lie that we are who we are and gain our goodness by defining ourselves over against some other baddies. God likes us very much all of us and wants us to get out of our addiction to that fake self-making so that we can become free and happy. So instead of being mad at the people who put up the billboard, 
feeling this sort of gripping judgment? What if I felt empathy for whatever was driving them because it's probably driving me too? What if I practiced liking them? Following Jesus could reform our consciousness toward love instead of fearful, suspicion, self-righteousness. So that instead of claws coming out or defensiveness or arming ourselves or differentiating ourselves from the wrong ones or losers or making fun of them to make ourselves seem better, instead of viewing anyone as our rivals, instead of having some need to be better than them, we could dwell in mercy. I think that would feel great and free and peaceful. Jesus leads a very different way than Caesar and presidents and prime ministers. Most people who lead, the juxtaposition is quite, juxtaposition is quite illuminating. And I think we recognize the futility in vengeance. Like after the ISIS attack on the people at the Kabul airport, Joe Biden vowed revenge. We will not forgive, we will not forget, we will hunt you down and make you pay. And then at a press conference, when Jen Psaki was asked to clarify if Biden meant killed or captured or put on trial, she said she thought he made it pretty clear that he doesn't want them on this earth anymore. So we launch a drone attack and retaliation that kills 10 civilians, including small children. Revenge cycles have no end. Vengeance doesn't make the world safe and peaceful. I'm pretty sure that most of us see that clearly. And I think that could mean that following Jesus has changed us a little. I do believe if we follow Jesus, something will happen to us. An opening up to mercy, a, rec a recognition that we are not more innocent than they are. Ourselves are no better or more important than any other selves. And in fact, our motives and actions and histories are so intertwined, we can't possibly extricate ourselves from the vast web of interconnected being. And it seems pretty clear that this something might happen, even if we aren't very good at following. That is such a relief to me. I'm so grateful the gospel writers include the stories of how much the disciples failed. They weren't really good followers. It's like one of the most graceful things in the gospel to me. They don't understand Jesus very well. They never know who he is quite. I can relate to that. They have rivalry with each other, argue about who's the greatest. Welcome to the history of the church and often the machinations of our minds. The followers fail to follow. The Gospels build this into the story. They all abandon, betray, or pretend they never knew him on the night that he dies and needs them most. And Jesus doesn't spend any time when he comes back from death to be with them, being angry or shaming or rebuking his followers for their betrayal. None at all. 
Not one word. It's really rather surprising. Not one word about how disappointed he is in them for abandoning him. He loves them. Wants them, the betrayers, to carry his message of radical mercy to all people. Like that was part of what the whole story was meant to reveal. You'll betray me. I will never leave you. Kill me. Abandon me. I'll come back. You aren't going to stay by my side in the darkest hour. But don't be afraid. I'll stick by yours no matter what. I'm not good at following. I just look at a billboard and I get riled up against who even? Some imagined other. But maybe I can stop believing in my innocence. And I mean, actually, I've really learned pretty well after, the, after all these years in church and reading the Bible that I'm not innocent. So maybe Jesus is getting through to me, little by little, leading me toward living in the mercy. The disciples fail to follow very well at all, but they do manage somehow faultingly in a stumbling, bumbling way to get the news, the good news out there. So that even if it's distorted sometimes, we still do get to hear the gospel of Jesus, the radical mercy, the end of vengeance. We still do this in remembrance of him. This is God's table and all are welcome. On the night before he suffered, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after the meal, he took the cup and said, this is my blood which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of all sin. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me.
You've been listening to the House of Mercy podcast. You can experience all this live every Sunday at 5. Check out www.houseofmercy.org for all the details. House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad. Everlasting arms I'm leaning on the everlasting